Hey friends, you're listening to The Collective Podcast, where we strive to highlight ordinary women living extraordinary lives of faithfulness. This season, we're featuring heroes of the faith, women, and even a few men, who shine in the unique areas God has gifted them. We'll hear their stories, how God has cultivated their gifting, and how we can grow in these areas ourselves. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome, friends. We are so glad you've joined us here for the Collective Podcast Season 3. I am your host, Callie Nixon, and this season, as we said, we are diving into heroes. And today, it is going to be a little bit out of the norm. I want to let you ladies know that for the very first time and for this very first episode of Season 3 on the Collective Podcast, ladies, you guessed it, there is not a woman in the studio today. Wait a minute, what are you talking about? <laughs> there is a man. <laughs> For our very first time ever, we've got a guy joining us on the Collective Podcast. And I truly, I truly could not be more thrilled because it is one of my dearest friends, Nathan Wagnon. Wait, so seriously, I'm I'm the first dude that's ever been on this podcast. You are literally the first man who's ever been on our podcast. Our wow. tagline is literally ordinary women living extraordinary lives of faithfulness. Yeah. And not only are you a man, you are no ordinary man. <laughs> <laughs> he's special. He's he's special, folks. Anyway, Nathan Wagnon, besides having the greatest laugh in America, is uh, our men's equipping director here at Watermark Community Church. So tell the folks at home, Nathan, a little bit about yourself and what you do for a living and your cute family. Well, what I do for a living is uh, keep, uh, I'm a I'm a husband to Margaret, and we we keep our four kids alive. That's what we do for a living. That's goals. And uh, yeah, so so far we've we're batting a thousand on that, which is awesome. <laughs> Lord protect <laughs> us. And uh, and then yeah, in my a moonlight as an equipping pastor at here at Watermark, and that means I just I help people think rightly about God mm-hmm. and understand who He is and how much He loves them. Yeah. So Nathan, that's pretty much a great segue into why I asked you to be on the podcast today. We're covering heroes and you are, it sounds funny to say this, but you are a hero to me of God's love. Mm. And so over the last few years, you have championed God's, you've championed God's love to our body in a way that I think we desperately needed Mm. and in a way that has been really refreshing to a lot of people. And so I'm really excited to dive into that today. But first, will you just um, kind of start us off in letting us know, how'd you come to know Christ? What did that journey look like for you? Yeah, I was born in central Arkansas and into a uh, godly family. Uh, My parents were active in their local church. And when I was eight, uh, I came to a place, the Holy Spirit called me to follow Jesus. And I said, yes, by his grace. And that started me on a journey of uh, discipleship to Jesus. I think I'm, what is it, uh, 35 years now, I guess, 34 mm-hmm. years, a Christian, uh, a student of Jesus. And um, that's had ups and downs for sure, um, but it's been a rich journey of just following the Lord. And I think we'll talk about some of the disorienting times because you know, the environments that we're formed in when we're children, of course, I'm no exception, uh, are really 
critical in the way that we end up thinking about and relating to God. And, uh, and so, you know, really in a lot of ways, I think discipleship to Jesus is a peeling back and a stripping away of false narratives about God. And, um, and that's what he's doing when he's like, hey, come to me and learn. Like, mm-hmm. I'll teach you. And the thing that's heavy on you, like, I'll make it light. And the process of discipleship and spiritual formation is the process of Jesus because he loves us and on the foundation of the love of God is stripping away all of the parts of us that, uh, that see him not as he is. To think about the journey is, uh, is like, just like in human development, we have different seasons and stages, right? So you have your childhood stage and your, your adolescent stage and your young adulthood stage. And those stages are different. They're different from one another. They bleed into each other. But, uh, but you, you move beyond being a child and beyond being an adolescent. And uh, I think in the early years for me as a Christian, um, I very much viewed God as kind of a, a cosmic rule keeper. It was, um, uh, it was kind of the uh, buddy of mine, James Smith, said this recently. He calls it the sting view of God. And you're like, sting view? And he's like, yeah, every move you make. Every take, Uh-oh. I'll be watching you. It's a pretty good it's song, awesome. yeah, but right, in that right. context, it's a little terrifying. Yeah, totally, it's terrifying. Yeah, like every move you make, it, like I'll be watching you. And uh, part of that was just the Christian subculture I was brought up in uh, tended to be pretty moralistic, and so it was a lot of do's and don'ts, and you know, just be a good little boy. And so. Um, you know, I think my view of God back then was a, all right, I, I need to be doing these things. And it, it's not that it was all bad, like, at all, but that was a really formative aspect of my early years of following Jesus. And I think that moved into, you know, out of my childhood stage of discipleship into more of a, um, I need to achieve things for God. So it was very much a performance mindset. And that's also in my formative years as an adolescent when I started to, you know, participate in competitive athletics and, you know, as a, as a young man and all of the things that go along with that, like being really competitive and wanting to win. And that's, that leaks over and spills over into everything. You know, it's kind of like, man, I, you know, I want to be the best football player, the best, you know, sprinter, the best student, the best Christian, right. you know, and then it, it becomes, well, then how do you measure that? And typically, at least in the tradition I was in, it was a lot of biblical knowledge and ministry activity. And so there was a lot of, at that point, God for me really became more of like a cosmic coach. So it was uh, more of a, somebody who's like cheering me on when I'm feel like I'm doing the right thing. But then when I'm doing the wrong thing, it's like super disorienting. Yeah. And like, I'm like, I'm not in the game anymore. I'm on the bench. I may not even be on the team, you know? So that, that season lasted for a long time until I was a student at here in Dallas at Dallas seminary. And all of my, and all of my like, coping strategies of using ministry or biblical knowledge in a lot of ways uh, to manipulate God or to hide from him. 
um, those all of my strategies just started to fail. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, I can't perform anymore. Like, wait a minute. I all of my knowledge isn't actually like protecting me from being exposed as somebody who is vulnerable mm-hmm. and weak and insecure and yada 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 right all like yeah just the mess of sin and the malformation away from uh, towards self away from god and all that stuff just like fell apart and it was in those that moment where I literally was just like, oh, dang, I have nothing. Hmm. Like, I have nothing. And you feel, you feel stripped. You feel naked and exposed. You feel vulnerable. You feel like, like, people say this a lot of times, but where they're like, man, I just, I felt like, like, I felt like I had nothing. I felt like I was nothing. I felt like. Uh, yeah, I felt exposed to being harmed. I could have taught the the class on yeah, you know, on salvation, on you know all the the Christology and the doctrine of sin and salvation and all you know all that stuff. But it was a lot of my the subterranean stuff of the environments that I had been formed in, the patterns of relating that I had formed in my formative years. And then, frankly, too, a lot of our images of God, they bump up against each other. So it's not alone. Like, I'm running into somebody else's view of God. You know, I'm, I'm having my own experiences where I'm, you know, uh, in, an, in an environment where a certain aspect of God is emphasized, like his sovereignty or his power or his wrath or his judgment or his justice, right? When those things are, are emphasized or overemphasized, like... It, Images of God can easily form in that environment that are at best incomplete and at worst, like really uh, distorted. Totally. It's like so many people that I've run into who are friends who would declare atheistic beliefs. Mm -hmm. It has very little to do with the fact that they actually don't believe God exists. It has so much more to do with what you're saying that God hurt them at some point or didn't come through for them or it's like, Hey, like God's a jerk. Yeah. And so why, like you want me to like, I'll follow him because what's the alternative? He throws me into hell forever. Right. Like, okay, but, but we're not doing it joyfully. We definitely don't think he loves us. Right. And if we believe that he loves us because we have to believe he loves us because the Bible says he loves us then we definitely don't believe that believe that he likes us. Right. And so there's just all these like distorted views of God. <clears throat> and but for me when I was in that vulnerable position and was just exposed uh, the thing that washed over me that was just completely transformative is uh, where I'm like, "Lord, I don't know. I have I have nothing." And it was almost like he was like, finally, Hmm. (laughs) finally, you're in a spot where you can finally believe what has always been true. And that is that I love you, unconditionally love you in a way that you will actually never even be able to fully comprehend. But now that all of your like defense mechanisms against me because you're scared of this or that or whatever, now that those are gone, now you can see that I love you. And that's why love, and I want to make sure that we define this on the front end, 
love is not something that's always just like this, you know, warm feeling, happy go luck. Like it's always, always feels good. In fact, a lot of times the love of God will push us into really disorienting seasons so that our defense mechanisms can be exposed because those are the things that are actually keeping us from experiencing the best that God has for us. And so the way, the, the way I like to define love is God's constant pursuit of the highest good for the one who is loved as far as it can be obtained. And so what I mean by that is God will always do what's best for you. He is constantly seeking the highest good for you. Um, but the fact love cannot be forced. It can't be conjoled or, you know, uh, or manipulated. And so the Lord is not going to, uh, he's not going to force you to receive his love. He is going to woo you, right? And sometimes in the wooing, that's really painful because he's going to strip away things that we think are love that aren't really love, right? And, uh, I mean, everybody who's done a lot of work on the love of God knows this. There are these seasons of disorientation. John of the Cross calls them dark nights of the soul, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're just like, what is going on, right? But you have to go through these things so that those parts of you that you believe are actually God but aren't God that are distorting your views of God will be stripped away so that you can, like I said earlier, be in a spot where you're like, man, now I, now I know I had heard of this with my ears. Right. Right. But now I'm experiencing this love and it's transformative. Mm. Like you cannot be delighted in and loved and cherished and just understand deeply that you're God's masterpiece and stay the same. It's impossible. Only the love of God transforms people. Totally. And so this is starting to get stripped away and starting to be maybe, uh, tell me if this is the right word to use, because I feel like this is a buzzword in Christian culture just a little bit. Like when you've been following Jesus for a while, it's like I've had to just like really deconstruct my view of mm -hmm. God. And and what I'm wondering is what, <laughs> what it sounds like more with you is you're like, maybe my view was always in error or, and I just got to know the true view mm -hmm. of who God really is. I think the accurate term is to, is disorient, right? Your, your orientation toward God is not completely accurate, nor is it completely flawed. It just is what it is. And it needs to be, it needs to be more deeply oriented to what's actually real so that you can experience on deeper levels the fact that God is love and that he loves you and he delights in you. He actually likes you, which is crazy, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, that's a whole other thing. But <clears throat> in order to be deep, more deeply oriented, your image of God, the way that you emotionally project God and relate to him needs to be disoriented. I wouldn't deconstruct it. That has the deconstruction in my mind has the, image of completely Taking disassembling. All the way down. Yeah. No, no. In in the process of disorientation, you know, reorientation, in that process, you keep a lot of it, right? But it's just the parts that are uh, insufficient or not adequate or false narratives 
can begin to fall off in that process of disorientation. So Walter Brueggemann in his in his book on the Psalms, you know, proposed this this uh, orientation, disorientation, reorientation model that I think is really right and good for us to think about, like the the various seasons that we go through in the spiritual life to be more deeply oriented into the love of God. So this starts to change and at the risk of asking a boring question, but I'm like, what's next? Like you start to have these aha moments, mm-hmm. then what? Cause I feel like there's probably a lot of work ahead of you. You just reoriented or you just realized you were disoriented. And now you're taking the steps to start to reorient. How does that happen? Like you don't just, read the Bible differently or keep going. What do you, what do you do? Yeah, totally. Typically what I see, I saw this in my own life and then also in the lives of others. I think there is that initial kind of uh, this, that initial season of awareness, which can, which can be a short season. It can also be a long one depending on, you know, what the Lord's doing and, and how receptive you are to it. Right. And so in this process, you begin to be more self-aware and you begin to know like, oh, like, do, do I really interact with God like that? And you begin to realize through the work of the Holy Spirit that, oh, dang, I do. And that can be really, one, it can be both liberating and means you're, you're aware of the fact that there is a disconnect there. And in that disconnect, you begin to feel like, okay, Lord, what are you doing in my life? And you begin to ask questions like, who is God? Mm-hmm. Who am I? Um, what is what is the spiritual life? Is it just about reading the Bible and praying and sharing your faith and memorizing scripture, blah, 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 like all the to-dos that we focus on? Oh, I can see now how your view of God has developed over time, except in these specific ways, your view of God is wounded, right? There's a lot of spillover, either from um, a, a formative relationship or a formative event that happened in your life or through an authority figure or, you know, something like that where we begin to project those other relationships onto our image of God. And when we do that, then uh, we're, we're diluting who God is, um, at least from our... Uh, our perspective of who he is. And so there's work to be done. I mean, it's a, uh, I've actually developed um, what I call a God image diagnostic assessment where it raises these issues to the level of awareness for people. And they're like, Oh, Oh, I never made that connection before, but I totally see it now. Right. And then it becomes a process of by the power and leading of the Holy spirit to recognize where those false narratives are living and breeding in your life, right? And then to be like, wait a second, no. And then you have that, now you you have agency, right? right? You have a choice to make where you're like, I can keep thinking that God is actually like this and operating as if he's like this, but now I'm aware that that's really like spillover and leakage from an attachment relationship I had with a, an authority figure in my formative years. And so now I'm able to see that that's the case. And now that I see it, I can begin to be reoriented back toward the biblical narrative. And the biblical narrative has at its heart the covenant keeping faithful love of God. That's the heart of the biblical narrative. 
I mean, it literally is like the scripture does not make any sense apart from the love of God. And I, I think that's exactly right. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. If we start theologically from any other spot other than God is love, then we're immediately hamstringing ourselves like from the very beginning. Well, and that throws off a lot of, you know, church reared, you know, Bible believing folk like myself. Well, what I would say, what I would say is like, um, because they would say, what about holiness? Yeah, totally. They would say, wait, I thought it was the essence of God would be holiness. Yeah, right. right. And And that's where it's like, well, you know, church reared Bible believing. And I'm like, well, I'm not sure that you're, I'm not sure that the tradition of your church was correct. Oh. And also the, the Bible believing aspect of it is I'm like, Hey, they're, uh, I'm not sure you're believing the Bible as, uh, as closely as you should be Mm. right because there's there's like what you think the bible is and then there's what the bible is and i i mean just what what's the what is the primary attribute of yahweh in the old testament chesed Mm -hmm. covenant love right right it's ever it's ubiquitous it's everywhere like you don't even have to you don't even have to like make a reference to it just open the bible somewhere and there it is right and then, of course, Jesus in his own ministry is like, I mean, he sums up everything, literally sums everything up. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. This is the first and greatest commandment. <clears throat> all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. <laughs> I think, y'all, you see, this is why Nathan is so passionate about this and has dedicated a big part of his life to helping our body understand a true definition of, of God's love, God being love and his love for us. And I will say, I want you to talk a little bit more about the assessment because I'm on your list, (laughs) but you know, I think I got on your list like six months ago. (laughs) So there's obviously I say that not to like, you know, toot your horn or anything, but like there's a lot of people who this hits you know, accord with them. And aside from us needing a dictionary for some of the words that you're saying, I'm trying to define them along the way. We'll help you out in the show notes. (laughs) Um, But besides that, like why, why this crusade of helping people and what has it, what has it done for you? Like what has it done for them? Because I mean, one of my own life, right? I saw the insufficiency of what so many people still put so much stock in. Right. I just need to read the Bible more. I need, I just need to pray more. I like, I just need to do more spiritual activities. And I mean, I, like a lot of my passion around this is like, that was me for a long time, you know? And again, there's, there is absolutely nothing wrong with spiritual activities. There is everything wrong with doing those spiritual activities without the love of God being the driving and motivating factor behind them. Exactly. Like, and that's where we could be in a lot of ways if people don't understand or at least have a working knowledge of the motivating factor for God to call us to do these things. Then because he loves us, right? Like he wants what's best for us. He will constantly move for our highest good as far as it can be obtained. Like that's what he does. And uh, and so... If, if people don't understand that, and I'm not talking about mentally, but I'm talking about experientially, understand that he is trustworthy and good and gentle and kind. There's a great statement. Uh, it might have been Lewis, but don't quote me on that. Anyway, basically he says, 
the harshness of God is gentler than the kindness of men. It's true. Right? It's like, hey, the like whatever you think is harsh from God, it's 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 better than somebody being nice to you. Right. Like so like like Dal- I do know Dallas Willard said this. He's like, dude, don't ever let anybody tell you anything bad about God. Don't let them do it. It's not true. Like God is the most God is the happiest, most joyful, most loving, like best. He's he is the highest of all of those attributes, right? And so but so many of us operate in this sense of again, he's angry, he's upset, he's domineering, he's um, he's disappointed. That's right. probably a, that's a big one I see in people's lives. And so anyway, you're asking like, how, how did I get passionate about this? And the answer is, is yeah, man, unless we're, unless we're operating out of a foundation of a deeply held belief in not only God's love for us, but his delight in us, then the activities that we're doing are just deepening a dysfunction or a dysfunctional relationship that's transactional where we do a lot of if then like, okay, Lord, if I do this, then you should do this. And at the heart of that is paganism. Like that's what paganism is. And so I I said this recently on a podcast and the equipping podcast shout out um, (laughs) that so much of what quote unquote American Christianity is today is just paganism with a Christian label slapped on it. That's so true. It totally is. Because the heart of paganism is transaction. Like, it's a, it's, I do for you, you do for me, right? And that is so anti-Christian. So, like, and and I get it. I get what's driving it is people feel insecure. They don't actually trust God, so they want to control him or manipulate him. And, uh, and what I'm, and what I'm offering today is that God that you think you're, have a transactional relationship with is not actually God. It's, it's the vestiges of insecure relationships that have been formative in your psyche over time that you have begun to attribute to be God, but they're not actually God. That is, you just put in a nutshell my journey. I feel like mine has been um, slowly this year in the kindness of God just starting to reveal to me and I've heard it you know you can hear it before it wasn't the first time I've ever heard it I've heard it a million ways to Sunday that like man we were supposed to Christy Knuckles talks about you operate out of the place of the beloved mm-hmm. so like out of knowing you're the beloved yeah. you live and move and have your being but then for me behind like in my prayer life I've I've had and held an inappropriate view of Jesus yeah. because I think Yes, yes, yes. Cognizantly, I'm saying that is true. Mm-hmm. But then the way I function when it comes to my sin is I try to hide yeah, right. or I try to um, say, you know, I'm going to go um, do a couple of really great things mm-hmm. and then I'll come back in God and I will be in yeah, good yeah, standing. Right, right, right. And this year I've read Gentle and Lowly, mm-hmm. which and there's been times where I've had to close the book with tears in my eyes and going, Mm-mm, I don't know. I uh-uh. don't think I like that. Just because Don't be rebuking me like that. It's really bothered <laughs> and started to do what you're saying. It's disorienting yeah, to yeah, feel yeah. like I think I've held some wrong views of God. And so even just to further the answer to your question, I think why this is helping so many people is because you're you're literally letting the spirit use you to help relieve them of burdens that they've been carrying yeah, yeah. around for a long time. Well, of what their it life. does, what specifically the, the assessment that I've developed, which 
I didn't develop all of it as kind of a hodgepodge of this person did this over here and this person did this and then I did some stuff and then I put it all together and got permission from them and all that stuff. But the assessment is designed specifically designed to expose what the person's God image is and where it came from and what it's connected to. And, um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of, there are a lot of mouths on floors and, and, uh, tears and eyes and just because like it's a yeah it's a it's it's an exercise that people can do to where now what was subterranean subconscious outside of somebody's conscious awareness is now in their conscious awareness and they're like oh but then the great thing is and this is my favorite part right is in that state of being vulnerable you're able to just like sweep in with the actual gospel and tell them like, he loves you. Yes. It's way, hey, hey, it's way better than you think it is. Yes. God is way better than you think he is. Way better. There's a dude one time said, said just when you think, right, um, that it's too good to be true and you're like, ah, no, it can't be that good. Like it can't be that good. You're like, man, that's that's you're just starting to scratch the surface of it. Right. It's epic. It's completely epic. And I know y'all can't see my friend Nathan, but as a <laughs> post army man, he is not a man of small stature. And so <laughs> a man like that looking at you with a sparkle in his eyes and a smile on his face while you're bawling, you can imagine <laughs> the moments in the room. That must be happening uh, because it's your, your I get trend. to bear hug some people. You do. It's pretty you get tight, to, yeah. I can see that. I but it. I think, okay, so for so for the average woman who's listening who won't ever be able to maybe get on your list and go through the full assessment, do you have something or ideas for them that they could start with to kind of go, mm. I want to start this journey of believing and operating from a place of God's love? What would you tell them to do? Yeah, I think, um, so we've talked about this quite a bit on the equipping podcast. So maybe we can like curate some content and some links in the show Absolutely. notes or whatever. I've just recommended a podcast to listen to. I would also, uh, if you, if you want to, uh, I mean, I would make some of the devotional classics like mandatory reading. So, I mean, I'm thinking about like the pra- the practice of the presence of God. Yes. By, um, brother, Lawrence. brother Lawrence. Yep. And then uh, Abiding Christ by Andrew Murray. Ooh, that one. Um, you know, you mentioned one, you know, Dane Ortland just come out, came out with Gentle and Lowly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually a book in a broader series. Um, and then, uh, you know, if, if they're interested in digging deeper into how an image of God, how, are, how a unique God image um, is formed over time, then I would recommend... Um, to start with Kurt Thompson's Anatomy of the Soul. Um, he's also written a really good book called The Soul of Shame, how shame operates in someone's life and is a tool of the enemy that's really used to reinforce false narratives that we believe about God. Um, and, I mean, it really is. It sounds super simple. If I mean, if I had to, you know, whittle it down to like one sentence, it's literally, you've been formed a certain way, and in that environment, you have been deceived and lied to that God is anything but somebody who is trustworthy and good and kind and loving. And so if someone's sitting here today and they're just like, ah, tears in their eyes, I want to believe that, but I don't know if I can, what would you tell them? 
Yeah, I would say one, the uh, the Holy Spirit is stronger than you are, right? And the one who began the good work in you will complete it. First mm-hmm. John chapter three verse two says, "When when we see Him, uh, actually it starts off and says, dear children, we don't even know what we are going to become.' That's a crazy statement. Like, it, I mean, you think about that for a second. It's like, wait, what? We don't even like we're going to end up being a type of being that we can't even imagine like what is that then he says but when we see him we will be like him because so there's this causal statement right because we will see him as he is oh that's awesome Hmm. right there's a direct correlation between seeing god as he actually is and your own complete transformation into Christ-likeness. That's so you will nice. see him as he is. And he's going to be someone who is so beautiful and so overwhelmingly good and loving that <laughs> when you just see him, you'll be like him. What the heck? What kind of being is that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it like brings tears to my eyes just to think about him. Like, I can't wait. Last one's a hairy nutmeg. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> no, leave it in. That was awesome. <laughs> I mean, last one to heaven's a rotten egg. That's what it makes me think about. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but you think about that, right? There's the like the Holy Spirit is doing this. It's not so the last thing I would want somebody to to do is try to believe differently. Like that's a very um that's a that that well, that's an impossible task, right? Instead, I think what you should do, and I, I was just telling somebody this the other day, I've started to say this more often, but I think my job as a pastor, which all pastor means is just a shepherd, right? As a shepherd is to get people to start talking to God, right? So people are like, well, what do we do? And I'm like, I don't know. Talk to Jesus. Mm-hmm. He knows. <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, what's the tips and tricks? I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, I could throw you through an assessment and be like, "Ah, I think maybe this, but you should definitely talk to Jesus. Right. right? And you could talk to Jesus. Like you're riding in your car right now. You're, you're over the sink doing dishes. You're in the kitchen. You're, you're juggling kids literally in the air. You're juggling children. (laughs) (laughs) Like whatever you're doing, you're doing laundry. My, my, my wife's just like, just hates laundry. It's the never ending thing, you know? So like you're, you're doing laundry, whatever you're doing right now, you can talk to Jesus. Right. Like. He is inviting you in. And so when you are, even if you're like, man, yeah, but I just don't believe that stuff. It's like, dude, get in line. Right. Or uh, not dude, but uh, hey, ladies, get in line. Right. It's like, it's the dude in, uh, uh, in the gospels where he's like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's a great prayer. You should pray that. And what, it, what the Holy Spirit is doing is in our, oh, there's this great G.K. Chesterton quote. He's like in our unawareness, he is, uh, he is moving in the underneath, and he's approaching us from behind. Oh, I love that image, mm-hmm. right? He's like, you don't see me, but I'm here. Mm-hmm. And Chesterton says he, he approaches us from behind and is visiting his child. Hmm. Oh, that's a great image, right? Chesterton, the master. So 
So, yeah, I think there's just that recognition of like, man, just talk to God. Right. Be honest with him. You know, he already knows. Again, that e- even if you're like, Lord, I don't believe you're kind and good and loving. I definitely don't think you like me. Like, tell him that. Right. Get it out. You know, that's it's the, you know, that drawing the the disease out of someone. It's yes. the, you know... I mean, I don't want to give a bunch of bad images, but it's the it's the, the coughing up all the junk <laughs> yeah. after you've had a you know bronchitis or something. It's like right. get it out, right? You know? I think a lot of times we try to give women really, really practical steps to move forward because we'll present someone who's endured quite a bit. Like for you, you've been studying this for several years now, and. I just want to tell whoever's listening, we're not expecting you to be at this place that Nathan is after years of study. We're asking you to take the next right step. And so for you, I love that you say, Nathan, like for some of you, it might be sitting down with a pen in hand the way I'm wired. Sometimes, you know, a lot of people are like, make lists of joy when you're sad and Mm -hmm. talk about all the Mm -hmm. good things. For me, that can be good. Mm -hmm. But I do that so much. I avoid the sad. Right, right. And so for me, sometimes just writing, Lord, I'm sad about this and this is my right first step to healing. And so I just want to encourage anybody who's listening today to take kind of that, that next right step. And so Nathan, for you who does so many things around here. He's mentioned the equipping podcast. Ladies, I could not encourage you more strongly to go and check out the Watermark Equipping Podcast. If you have time, he leads great questions, which is a ministry for people who are um, either antagonistic or inquisitive about the faith Mm -hmm. in Christ. And Mm so you do so much. And yet I love that this has become like your, your banner and your war cry. And so if you were to think about anything you could leave with these women, as we kind of draw to a close, what would be kind of your final charge or your final bits of advice for them yeah i think you know i i just to double down on what i said just previously is um you know we we do like to come with a lot of the hey try this maybe do this and uh one of the underlying problems that i see in people's lives is so much of the christian life is lived without a functioning awareness of the presence of Jesus with us. Like, in other words, we try to live the Christian life, but we don't actually believe that Jesus is real. Like, we think a a lot of times we'll think about him as like a figure that's out there that, you know, maybe we can, uh, uh, maybe a a, uh, vending machine or a coin dispensary or whatever, where we're like, yeah, well, you know, I'll, I'll talk to Jesus out there, but, but, so many of us don't really live with a constant awareness of the fact that no, seriously, there's a dude who's alive from the dead in another dimension that you can't see right now, but he is with you right now. Yes. Like he's real. He wants to walk up to you and talk to you. Like, that's that is the Christian claim, just yes. to be clear. Yes. Like that is what we believe. And so many of us don't function like that. And I would just encourage you ladies, you should start functioning as if Jesus is real. As if he's standing right there with you. You know, maybe he's making coffee. You know, maybe, you know, like I told told my buddy yesterday, I was like, Hey, I think because I asked this guy, I was like, Hey, what do you like to do? He's like, I like to hit golf balls at the driving range. I'm like, dude, right now, Jesus is at you. the driving range. And he's inviting you to come eat go- to come hit golf balls with him. It's just like, wait, what? But I, what I was doing is trying to give him an image of, hey, dude, he's with you. He's right there. 
like you can talk to him Hmm. and sometimes he'll talk back to you sometimes he won't sometimes he'll give you something to go hey you know i'm inviting you to this over here and so much of the you know uh especially the kind of evangelical subculture of christianity in america is a bunch is a bag of tips and tricks i'm like i i got no bag but i do know a person mm-hmm. i do know a guy mm-hmm. and we should talk to him and so i would just say like be emotionally present with the god who's with you i mean that is the witness of jesus i mean we're like you read isaiah 7 and 9 you read matthew 1 like the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and she will call him Emmanuel. Mm, God with, with us. us, God. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, he's with you. And where you are thinking badly about God, where you're scared of God, where you're anxious about God, where any of those things are creating in you an angst or a fear, Right then I just want to suggest to you, I don't think that thing you're interacting with is actually God. So take that to him mm-hmm. and have a conversation. I mean, think about 1 John 4, right? There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. He's not trying to punish you. Mm-hmm. Like he's trying to deeply form in you the fact that you are his beloved and I mean, he's crazy about you. You are his masterpiece. Mm. It, I mean, Callie, you know me. I could go on and on and on and on. I mean, there, there's so much rich <laughs> biblical theology around this right. and how it fits into the narrative of, of being an image of God. Like, oh, dude, if you study image of God in the context of the ancient Near East, like it blows your mind. Right. You're like, what? I'm an image of God. What? Yeah. Whoa, I'm way more important than I thought I was. Exactly. Exactly. That's the way he sees you. Oh, I love it. I think that's a perfect way to end. You are beloved of God. And I even think if you want to go one more click on that, that's um, something we cared about so, so much at the collective that our first ever event in January of 2020 was on that. It was how God displayed his love for us. In the three gardens. Oh, the three gardens and talk. Yeah, yeah, totally. I whiteboarded that. that for you. It was so good. I remember <laughs> seeing there. Kelly was taking notes like, "What?" Oh, it was blowing my mind. I've never, I've never worked so hard <laughs> for a awesome. thirty-minute talk in my life. That's awesome. But it was so worth it. You yeah, like that's awesome. at that deep dive. And so, man, y'all, I hope you've been so, so super encouraged by our time together, Nathan. Thank you. Yeah, for it's my pleasure. The um, major amount of time that you spent just. <laughs> giving to us funny side note ladies we actually have done this talk before you should have heard the first one the first one was great (laughs) but your girl hit play instead of record so we're just keeping it real here on the collective podcast but that just meant i got to do this with you twice callie i'm grateful for you and it was fun to see god's mercy displayed in you so y'all thank you thank you for your time that's all the time we have for today if you want to learn more about the collective we would love to see you over at watermark.org slash collective. You can follow us on Instagram at watermark underscore collective. Be sure to share this episode with someone who needs to hear it today. And if you have any questions about it, you can email us at collective at watermark.org. Ladies, you are seen, known, and loved by the only one whose opinion of you matters and his opinion is high. You are made in his image. We love you and we will see you next time on the Collective Podcast.